Chapter 4 Ninanaba The Enemies Are Close Ninanaba loved her husband's strong hands. She loved looking at them. She often allowed her thoughts to visit the times when her husband held her close to him. It was with his strong hands that he sensuously explored her wanting body. Ninanabat yearned to feel her husband's big strong hands hold her gently. His hands always made her feel safe. As Nananabat watched Hashkehilnapa with their children, she never ceased to wonder at the size of her husband's hands when he held their sons and daughters. She often thought, how could this man face the enemy one day and be a loving father the next? Once when Nananaba voiced this thought to Hashkehilnapa, he stroked her hair and told her never to think of the enemy while she cared for their little ones. Our children are fragile. They are sacred, he said in a gentle, encouraging voice. And many times since, she heard him voice how their children are fragile and sacred. When a hunting or scouting trip was planned by the men, Hashkehilnapa could not sleep near his wife and his daughters. They represented life. There was to be a time that was set aside for an observance in which he was to maintain self-control. When hunting, the self-control led to his being able to concentrate and to observe the fact that they would be taking an animal's life and let him be alert in case they came in contact with their enemies. During these times, he could not think of his wife and the intimate times they shared, for he could not be distracted by the thoughts of her. These distractions may cost a life, he was told at a younger age. Nananaba always felt fortunate that Navajo society was based where she and her husband settled near her mother and father. Her mother's family became especially close when Hashkeyitnapa left on his hunting trips, scouting trips, or raiding trips to retrieve what the enemy stole, or when he went to join the fall and winter leadership gatherings which were held to plan war strategies. Hashkehilnapa was becoming more and more powerful as the years passed, which meant he was away more often. Most families of leaders accompanied the leader to the leadership gatherings, but because of the age of her mother, Ninanaba chose to stay home and care for her mother, her children, and the sheep. Many times Hashkehilnapa told Nananaba that he missed his family when he was away from them, saying, Nihit 
aho wande bama ya akhalya tshnila aibeninad aho wande seta o tshnila akon nakha ya at ebjini danashnila bishi asto ayone tahasale ayone tenashle shiyaje when i leave from you i really miss you sometime without warning just catch up with me where we are conducting the leadership gathering the women usually ask about you i usually say she is at home taking care of her mother that is why she stayed at home i usually say and so they usually tell me to greet you for them they probably miss seeing you too i also miss you a lot my little one I also miss you a lot, too, Nananaba answered softly, after which her husband held her tight with his gaze, not wanting to let her go. He loved his beautiful Nananaba. When her husband and her father left for the fall and winter gathering, Nananaba's thoughts went back to the leadership gatherings she and her children were missing out on the gatherings were held during all four seasons a different set of leaders led during various times of the year it was the seasons that dictated which leaders were to be in charge of the welfare of the people the peace leaders led in the spring and in the summer while the war leaders led in the fall and winter As a war leader, the busiest time for Hashkeyilnapa was in the fall and winter, making it difficult for his family. Winter stories were important to moral character building for children, and the father and the maternal and paternal grandfathers were a major source of winter stories. In the spring, Nenanaba missed being with the families as they prepared the daike cornfield and planted in their cornfield in an attempt to stop her thoughts nananabot shook her head as she thought of the people she knew would be at the leadership gatherings she missed being with her relatives missed the stories the women told and missed the sound of life all around them but her mother was important to the raising of her own children her mother represented wisdom and nanaba wanted her children to know their elders were not to be neglected although alone as a parent when her husband was away it was not difficult raising the children on her own her mother her maternal aunts and uncles and cousins were always available to hold a child feed a child or just play with one of her children the evenings were the times she favored for it was during these times her uncles gathered the children around them and began to tell stories such as the one her maternal uncle nakayilnapa told of the contact with the hopi people he would begin with shad achgo nanasadne holo in the direction of the south there is another group of people called the hopis 
the Nabeho Navajos came out of the north to play games with the Kinyasani Hopis. Both sides understood the rules of the game. It was a harsh game. The Kinyasani had to be constantly on guard and on the lookout for the Nabeho coming out of the north. If the Kinyasani saw a group of Nabeho coming, they were to alert the other Kinyasani who would be out working in their cornfields. If the Nabeho yelled out a war cry, the Kinyasani would begin running, running in all directions looking for a rock to stand on. This meant that the Kinyasani had to run fast, for the Nabeho would come on their fleet horses at a fast gallop. The Nabeho were experts at bareback riding. One could see in the distance the men riding, and because they had been riding for quite a distance, their tsiyeth, hair tied up in a bun, would come undone and their long black hair would be riding the wind just like the men who would be riding their fleet horses. It was understood by both sides that if a Kinyasani was able to find a rock upon which to stand, the Nabeho could not touch a hair on his head. He was declared to have found safety. If there was a Kinyasani who had not found a rock upon which to stand, he was considered fair game by the Nabeho and would be captured. If the Nabeho left Kinyasani country without a captive, the Kinyasani would be declared the winners and would be considered better prepared than the Nabeho. If, on the other hand, the Nabeho captured a Kinyasani, then the Nabeho were considered the winners. Akutego Kinyasani Bishindajanego in that way, they used to play and make war with the Kinyasani, the children were told. As Nananabat's children grew older and as her mother grew weaker, Nananabat stayed at home during the day instead of joining the children and the sheep herders when they took out the sheep and goats. Her family still made it a practice to keep a few hundred sheep near their home while the larger herd of sheep was cared for by several men in another area. When home, Hashkehiyathnapa daily reminded Nananaba of the Ana'i enemies who stalked the hills, waiting for a lone Nabeho herding the sheep. The enemies' preferences were Navajo women and children. The women and children were known to be weavers of beautiful blankets and rugs, and they, as well as the young boys, were also known as hard workers who complained very little. One morning in the late fall, Nananaba prepared breakfast and asked her children to get up before the dawn and run to the east. Run for the sake of training yourselves, my children, she said as she put the water on to boil for their breakfast of kineshbiji, blue cornmeal dumplings, and nanes kade, tortillas. 
Such tenderness Nananabot felt in her heart for her children. They were the most precious possessions she had, and she made a silent vow to the bright eastern sun to care for them the best she could. While her children were running, Ninanabot took time to heat up some water so she could wash herself. Her heart stopped when her sons came running home. They reported seeing some strange horses on the southern hill. Ninanabot felt a tinge of fear and wished Hashkehilnapa were here instead of on the hunting trip. She had not spoken privately with her husband for seven days. Four days before he left, he had taken his bedding outside and slept in the Chaha'o, Ramada, to avoid being around his wife and daughters. Now her husband and her father and her brothers had been gone for three days. Nananabat yearned for his presence near her. She went outside and prayed quietly to the Creator, asking for the safe return of her husband, her father, and her brothers, and then voiced a prayer also for her children, who would be going out to herd the sheep without her or their father's guidance and protection. After breakfast, she combed each child's hair and put it up in a tziyel, a tight bun, and as she did, she told them she was going to tie their hair tighter than usual because she wanted them to be constantly reminded of self-control, self-control for the sake of their safety so they would not forget her teachings as they were away from her. As her children disappeared over the horizon with the sheep, they kept looking back, waving at her. She kept looking in the direction her children and the sheep had gone until she could no longer hear the bleeding of the sheep or the happy cries of her children. Nananabot went inside her hoan and wiped her body with a soft rag she dipped in water, all the while thinking about Ashke Yitnapa and her children. Nananabot then washed her hair with suds from the yucca root she had gathered earlier. When her long hair was dry, she tied her hair in a knot. Then she began to weave. She was glad for the distraction of weaving, especially weaving an intricate design. A little afternoon, her sons, Nahat'ah Yanapa, the warrior who makes war around plans, and Tlegonapa, night warrior, burst in the doorway. With a wild look in their eyes, they told their mother that some strange men rode in like the wind and took their sisters, Dedyajana's Ba, little girl warrior who came back, and Zanaba, young woman warrior. We tried running after them while we threw rocks at them. They cried, choking on their tears. Ninanabat raced out the door and ran to her mother's hoan. As she flung aside the rug that hung in the doorway, she fell into her mother's lap 
and told her of the disappearance of her daughter's screaming. Nikitsokya led Yajanav's bat Lodzanaba Khishisna Abilala. Someone has taken your granddaughters as captives. Shikaoje, help me. Two horses were hobbled nearby, ones that Nananabat had ordered her elder uncle to bring back. As old as he was, in a second her uncle was gone with yaka rope strung over his back. He loved his grandnieces and did not want any harm to come to them. He began to pray, but his prayers seemed to be interrupted with the descriptions of the men his grandnephews gave. The men's skin was of a lighter color than that of the Nabehu, they said. The clothes they wore were so dirty that one could hardly tell what color they were originally, but the language the men spoke was foreign to the boys, and the horses seemed to be stockier and fatter than Nabehu, Navajo horses. Ninanabat vowed not to eat a full meal until her daughters returned. The rest of the family seemed to have made the same silent vow. The food prepared at mealtime remained untouched by the family. As much as Ninanabat wanted to pray to the Creator, the words for her prayer seemed to not want to come together. Instead, she just put her head down and felt her abdomen remembering how she was able to keep her precious daughters safe inside her for nine months. Her abdomen felt so empty with these memories. She ached from the inside out. She did nothing to hide her sorrow. With his hair untied, his face unwashed, his clothes haphazardly aligned on his body, the older uncle began to follow the tracks of the hunting party. Just before the darkness moved in to hide all the tracks, he found the hunting party. It was late in the evening when the tracks of the hunting party and Hashke Yitnaba were discovered by Nenanabat's elder uncle. He found them sitting around a fire telling stories. In unison, the men turned toward the sound of someone's approach. Quickly, Hashkeh Yilnaba grabbed his Tzidetran spear and aimed it at the heart of the intruder, while the others jumped for their bows and arrows and had their bows drawn, ready to send a deadly arrow into the heart of the elder man. The elder man stumbled and fell into a kneeling position and mumbled words no one understood. Ashkeyitnapa jumped over a log he was standing near and gently lifted the older man. Khatisha, what is it? he demanded. Slowly the group was told of the disappearance of the girls. Khatasha, when? they all demanded. The elder man believed it was a day and a half ago. He was told to stay while Hashkeyitnapa and three hunters grabbed their personal items, unhobbled their horses, and rode out of the camp at a full gallop. Hashkeyitnapa told the others to keep their heads low, near their horses' necks, for protection as they rode through the thick 
pine and juniper trees. Just before dawn, the men saw the clearing that was near their home. Before his horse came to a complete stop, Hashkeyilnadba jumped off of his horse and ran toward his hogan. He lifted the thick rug that covered the door. Once inside, he quickly moved in the direction where he knew Nananabat would be sleeping. Her sheepskin was outstretched, but she was not on it. He felt around with his hands, whispering her name. All he could hear was the whimpering of a child. He heard another whimper and reached toward the sound. Following the sound, he found Ninanabat sleeping on his sheepskin. He touched her, and she jumped and lashed out, nearly knocking him over from his crouched position. When Ninanabat realized it was Hashkeh Yilnabat, she began to hit his chest with her fists. Her throat sore from crying, she hoarsely asked in a loud whisper, where were you? she demanded. Someone kidnapped our children. If you had been here, it probably would not have happened. She had no more strength to lift her hands. She grabbed his buckskin shirt and felt her weight pull his shirt down, stretching and tearing it as she sunk lower. She let go of his buckskin shirt, and in the dim light of dawn, she saw his exposed chest and the red marks her fists left on his chest. Blinking back hot tears, she added, Do Anasinda, I have no appetite. Don de Bithnasinda, I'm not even sleepy. Nicheet e kepan sidis kosko, o yego nascha. When I begin to think of our girls, I just really cry. She stopped and looked around in a confused manner and continued, o shes bahajo ba iye. I just feel so sorry for them. I wonder in what ways they are being tortured. Having said that, she began to wail. Between sobs, she said, My poor children don't know how to be tortured. She knew from the stories former Navajo captives told that most Navajo captives were not treated very well. She looked into her husband's eyes and spoke in a faraway voice. I do not have the strength. I cannot stand it. It really hurts right here. She gripped her heart. Hashkeyilnaba knelt beside his wife and allowed silent tears to run down his face and mingle with her hair. The sweet scent of her yucca-washed hair was fresh in the deep breath he breathed in. He felt helpless. All he could say was, Ya, 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 dole to dole dada, ya, 
as an expression of sadness and loss. It is too bad. As if jerked back to reality, he straightened and asked about his sons. Ninanabat did not know where her sons were. She suddenly felt extreme fatigue and asked her husband to push on her chest to calm down the sharp pain inside her. Hashkeyitnapa held his beautiful wife until he could not stand it any longer. He told her he would be right back and left the whole run to ask about the safety of his sons. After finding they were with their maternal grandmother, he went back to hold and console his wife. She told him about her last view of them as they took the sheep out the day they were kidnapped. At full daybreak, Hashkeyitnapa sent for other war leaders who were taking part in the winter leadership gathering. Before sundown, middle-aged men and older men began to gather. After a hasty meeting was held, it was determined that there was no time to wait. A search party was to be sent out for the young girls. The young sons of Minanaba were called in. With tear-stained faces, they once again described the men who kidnapped their sisters, followed by a description of the kidnappers' horses. With this information, the men left, shaking the grieving parents' hands. Outside, the men told Hashkeyitnapa to stay behind to comfort his wife. They knew how much he loved his Nenanaba. The men knew he trusted them to be the warriors he had trained them to be. They discussed with him the direction they would go to begin tracking the kidnappers. Hashkeyitnapa was being crushed with conflicting feelings. He wanted to search for his beautiful daughters, but he needed to stay behind to comfort his wife, but he also trusted his strong warriors. Once inside their hoan, Ninanabat clung to Hashkeyitnapa, clutching his skin, his clothes, his hair, and his hands. He wanted so desperately to be in search of his daughters, but he knew his wife needed nourishment and sleep. He led his beautiful Ninanabat to the south side of their hoan, where she slumped down on his soft sheepskin. He softly sang to her and smoothed down her hair. He kissed her hair, her face, and whispered, Don't cry, my little one. I love you. Warriors are looking for our children. Go to sleep. His wife slept as long as he held her and was close to her. A little past noon, an aunt of Nananabak came in and gave Hashkehitnapa some tortillas with jerky. For Nananabak, she brought a container of broth. As Nananabak drank the broth slowly, she began to lose the wild look she had earlier. Many women who attended the leadership meetings came to help take care of Nenanaba, which allowed Hashkeyitnapa to silently leave 
to follow the other warriors to look for his beautiful daughters. There were many visitors to greet, information about the search to be collected, or coordination of the search in different directions, and to help butcher the deer brought back from the hunt. Nananabat's father and elder uncle took these chores upon themselves. It had been a year since their daughters had been kidnapped by their enemies. Even after a year, the search for Nananabat's daughters continued as part of their daily routine. Nananabat was stronger but cried often and would look at her husband and say in a sarcastic manner that they should have had more babies. Hashkeyitnapa listened patiently and never gave up hope that one day they would see their daughters again. Time would not heal Ninanabat's heart. She continued to mourn the disappearance of her daughters. Many times as she worked through her day, she wondered what her daughters looked like and what they would be like. She knew deep down in her heart that she would see her daughters again one day. As she retreated more into herself to keep her daughter's memory alive, her sons became closer to their father and visited their mother frequently. At times when they visited their mother, they were afraid they brought memories of their sisters, so they spent more time with their father. Ninanabat's sons knew their mother was not well. They did not resent her because their father reminded them almost daily that they should have tenderness and understanding toward the woman who gave them life. Nihima nihishchini bahainothne Remain strong for your mother, the one who gave you life. Yegotki honiko ata. She is really suffering.